0: Hey everyone, the episode you're about to listen to is one of the very first ones that we did and the sound recording is not that great.
1: It took us a little bit to hit our stride and we enjoyed these first episodes but they maybe aren't our strongest ones.
0: So we've got some better equipment and honed our skills. The recording quality gets a lot better around episode 10.
1: Stick it out, keep listening. It gets better from here. I'm Ben, and you're listening to Sound Logic. And this is Mike.
0: Each episode, you get to hear us ramble about music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone's Top 500
1: list. Brought to you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are discussing album number one from Rolling Stone's Top 500 albums of all time, the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which I think we're both really excited to get into today.
0: Yeah, uh, certainly one of the most iconic albums ever. So uh, let's just get into it. We'll start with some details first, and we're going to start every episode with some, some details and stats uh, with a few comments along the way before we get into, you know, personal commentary. So uh, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band was released uh, 26th of May in 1967.
1: A little before our time.
0: Uh, yes. Um <sighs> Uh, this was their eighth studio album, I believe, um, and uh, the the writing credits are all given to uh, Len McCartney, except for "Within Without You" by George Harrison. We'll get into we'll get into that a little later. And it got to number one in both the UK and the US. It spent 27 weeks on at number one in the UK charts and 15 weeks in the u.s
1: it's a significant album for many different reasons obviously with albums that have this much global recognition they're going to do well in sales and uh, worldwide to date it's sold more than 19 million copies of this album it's number 16 on the uh, list of total copies sold of all time in
0: 1968 they won four grammys for the album and it was the first album that they recorded after they decided to stop performing live. Certainly a very significant uh, time period for the Beatles and their fans, and how they were viewed as a band, and a, and a big decision that would affect the rest of their career as a band. is sometimes listed as the first psychedelic album, uh, and the beginning of the psychedelic era in music and in popular culture, and is also uh, considered one of the first popular concept albums they knew that they'd likely never play these songs live, which allowed for much more experimentation and creative flow in the studio, which I think is interesting. We can discuss that a little more as it goes on. Something we also want to discuss for each album is, is the album artwork. Of course, most of these albums we're going to discuss, almost all of them, were you know were LPs, full size uh, vinyl sleeves. So you know some of them iconic and very beautiful artwork uh the beatles *Sgt. peppers is no exception here um of course this is the image with the band dressed up in an old marching band uh style regalia um with a bunch of images of a lot of other famous people mostly mostly cutouts uh this was designed by artists peter blake and jan Haworth. the idea here is that uh, Sgt. Pepper's Band has just played a concert, and they're taking a photo with all the people that have been at the concert. And they said, "You can, you can pick whoever you wanted to be at that concert." So they, the Beatles and people putting it together, just got a bunch of cardboard cutouts of people they wanted to have there, and that's how they created it.
1: To me, this might be the whole, the most dated thing about about the old the whole album. It just feels '60s. And, I, and not in a way that I look at it and think like, wow, that was revolutionary, but just like this is what was popular at the time. So they went with it.
0: I, I agree. And you know, if we think about Rolling Stone, I mean, this, this reminds me of you a know, Rolling Stone cover. Uh, this is oh, something yeah. they would certainly uh, – I'm sure they were influenced by this as well as the artists did their job on, on Rolling Stone. Uh, it certainly puts a date stamp on it when you look at it right. because you recognize people from before that year, obviously, and and uh, it's people who were popular or significant in their mind. They being, you know, the band and the producers and the the people who were involved in setting up this art project. So yeah, it is it is dated, but even as a person who was born fifteen years after this came out i can pick out a lot of those people and i can i know who they are and I know their significance and even though uh oh yeah i remember oh that picture's from bob Dylan's highway 61 revisited you know i but i can see all those people and see oh yeah these are kind of all the people who got pop culture and society to where it was at that moment so uh dated but still significant and, and of course very iconic
1: Um, Yeah, and 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 hard to imagine in a vacuum too, right? Like it's hard to imagine uh, a world where this album doesn't exist. And so, you know, claiming now in hindsight that it looks kitschy or something is probably unfair because it was so um, eye-popping at the time, I'm sure. It also strikes me as a bit uh, arrogant to include themselves, younger versions of themselves in in the artwork as well. Uh, really interesting. Do you
0: know, do you know what, what those are? No, those are uh, wax figures that they borrowed from Madame Tussauds. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
0: So everything is uh cardboard cutouts except for the wax figures of themselves. So yeah, yeah. A little arrogant, but it's, it's really neat because that's them as the mop tops, the fab four, um, right. you know, in the early 50s and right beside them is the the new evolution so it's uh it's a statement and i i personally really like it and i i I always really enjoyed that aspect of it
1: The, the contrast too i mean it says something about their journey you you oh yeah you see the sort of uh clean cut even with the mop tops the the more clean cut look of the suits with uh uh, all wearing sort of matching suits with a shirt and tie buttoned up to the top. And now they're in this sort of much more flamboyant, bright colors. Um, yeah, it's it's clear that they're sort of like, you know, we're in a different era now. Something dramatic has shifted.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Changed so much. Certainly their sound changed. I don't want to get into that yet. Um, I want to talk about two more things on the cover before we yeah. move on. There's so much here to dive into. One is uh, these these beautiful and perhaps even ridiculous mustaches that they're all sporting. Uh, this, uh, they had not really featured any facial hair until this time. And this was inspired by George Harrison, who grew the mustache, um, as a bit of a disguise when he went to India, uh, he went to India, of course, to study music and to learn with Ravi Shankar, uh, which, uh, will come up on this album. And, uh, so he was sporting this mustache. So they all followed suit and, and that gives part of their new image.
1: So interesting.
0: And then, um, I can't look at this album without thinking about, uh, Sir Paul and his costume and something very significant to you and I on, you can't see on the cover, but in the liner notes, a few of the other images on his left sleeve, just below his shoulder, there's a badge there and it says OPP and OPP stands for Ontario provincial police, which is the province in Canada that Ben and I grew up in. And, uh, Uh, The rumor for many years was that OPP was a reference to uh, OPD, um, which uh, fed into the Paul is dead um, theory, Uh, something uh, observed, proclaimed dead or something like that. Uh, uh, But that's not the case at all. Uh, Many years before they were in Toronto and they were met. Uh, at the airport and they were being escorted by some police officers and one of the sergeants gave them four uh, OPP badges and what? I guess it they kind of got some you know someone grabbed them and they kind of sat around and I guess at the time they were creating this Paul had one kicking around or someone did and he put it on his uh, on his jacket and there wow. it is there it is forever OPP so that's kind of a special thing for me being from Ontario and certainly as soon as I saw it I recognized it because this is something that we see all the time. Um, it's something about an emblem and a badge that hasn't changed uh, for a long time. So yeah, that's something kind of exciting for me.
1: I just also noticed that there's like a doll or something wearing a sweater that says, welcome the Rolling Stones. The stones are not on the cover, right? But there's this nod, not in kind of a creepy way.
0: Yeah, that could be a nod <laughs> or maybe even a, a slam. Cause certainly they were, necessarily direct rivals but there has been a rivalry over the years between these two incredible british fans
1: they also wanted to include jesus in the cover it didn't end up happening oh really yeah and i think it was sort of in the wake of a lot of scrutiny that they were facing when lennon uh remarked that they were more popular than jesus and uh <laughs> so i don't know if it was their producers or what who said like uh eh, let's step away from uh you know, doing more damage here.
0: Yeah. Uh, boys, we need to create a little distance.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Probably a good call. Probably. Certainly significant in pop culture. Um, and I didn't know until you mentioned the other day, uh, there was a movie
1: about this. I watched the trailer and it looks ridiculous. It makes me want to (laughs) figure out where I can watch it online. I'm sure there's somewhere out there that you can stream it now, but, um, yeah, and just the concept of like an album based film starring artists other than the ones who wrote it. So the Bee Gees are in it, Aerosmith, Alice Cooper, Earthwind and Fire, all in this sort of like musical comedy adventure. Uh I can't even I can't even begin to imagine it. It, it it's not terribly well reviewed.
0: I think Peter Frampton had had one of the leads with the the Bee Gees, so Uh, Tons of – and if you go through the IMDb of the people who show up, uh, there are tons and tons and tons of famous people in there. But um, again, we talk about popularity. uh, I I had never heard of it. Not that I'm the be-all and end-all, but it's another thing that's sort of perhaps fading into obscurity. But nonetheless –
1: Well, and strangely, uh, it came out in 1978. So like almost 10 years after the – or more than 10 years after the album makes its mark. Yeah almost like trying to recapture some of the the success. It wasn't in the wake of the album's popularity. It was much past it. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 15% uh, approval rating right now, so (laughs) pretty far down on the uh, greatest musical films you should check out. But since Pet Sounds is coming up next, um, Revolver is the album that came before this, right? Yes. So Revolver inspires... Brian Wilson specifically, but the Beach Boys to go in the studio and like totally reimagine what music can be. And they come up with this brilliant album, Pet Sounds, which the Beatles listen to and are like, oh, my goodness, we can do we can do so much more than we've ever done in the studio. And they create Sgt. Pepper. So there's this like ripple effect in music uh, in the late 60s where artists are feeding off of the creativity of others And not only is it inspiring other people, but it's inspiring the artists themselves to do better the next time.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that these two behemoths in terms of uh, music history were using their own albums to inspire each other, to spur each other on. I'd say competition, but a healthy, friendly competition. I I doubt there was any animosity um, between them. And I think that any reports would say it was was quite friendly. And uh, yeah, what an exciting time to be a music fan. Um, sometimes I feel like I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> so much, Me too. so much coming out, even just the Beatles alone, pumping out, you know, more than one album a year constantly. And then all these other bands pumping out monumental, everlasting albums uh, all at once. I mean, you probably didn't even realize at the time, uh, what you were living in but to look back on it certainly and i can't personally but to look back at the era it's like oh my goodness just just so much music so much was happening and so yeah. much was happening in the world around them in the world of politics and the yeah. world of culture uh everything the the world was changing as it is constantly changing in this you know in this century the, the 20th century and into the 21st century things happen very quickly and they change quickly and uh, music is no exception and often echoes that, uh, as we'll
1: see. I think you're onto something there when you mention it's probably hard to see while it's happening to you. I can remember uh, watching right. the Beatles anthology with my dad and asking him, like, well, how amazing was it to be living this? And he's like, uh ah, yeah. you know, the Beatles I kind of dismissed as like teeny bopper girl music and... Uh, I hope I'm not putting words into his mouth, but he almost seemed to be lamenting that as like, you know, if only I had realized what I was living through, but you know, it was, it was so easy for him to just say like, Oh, they're screaming girls. That's not real music. And I'm going to listen to something else. Um, and I, it makes me pause and wonder like, what am I dismissing right now that future generations are going to look back on and think like, Oh, it's so amazing to live. I don't know. Fill in the blank. Uh, or, or what was
0: the, what was it like to, what was it like to be a teen when uh the big five of grunge were creating albums right. you know uh you know because we did live through that and and yeah maybe uh when I think back it, I didn't realize exactly what it was exciting and the music was cool and i I liked it and was getting into it but uh again, what a huge moment in modern music history
1: if i think about my earliest memories of the grunge movement i dismissed it pretty quickly as like sort of talentless angsty music for people who uh were frustrated with life and since i didn't really feel that at the time um you know i I listened to something that was a little bit poppier and more upbeat and not as depressing and (laughs) almost dismissed the genre because it didn't resonate with my life. And so I think, I think that's what we end up doing, right? We don't, we don't see the true artist if it's not meeting us where we need to be met at that given moment. It's not a bad thing, but we're fairly selfish when it comes to music. We want music that speaks to us right now. We're not able to zoom back and say like, well, how is this going to speak to my entire life?
0: <laughs> You're never going to embrace something that's not relevant to you.
1: Right, exactly.
0: I want to go through the track list. I'll just list them out here. And, and just so, you know, if you're not familiar with the album, uh, we'll do this each time so that we can just have a list of them all and we'll come back to. Uh, we're not going to necessarily talk about each track, but we'll list them out. Number one, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. With a little help from my friends. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Number four, Getting Better. Uh, track 5 is Fixing a Hole. Track 6, She's Leaving Home. Track 7, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. Track 8, Within You, Without You. Track 9, When I'm 64. Track 10, Lovely Rita. Rita, Rita, Track 11, Good Morning, Good Morning. morning, Track 12 is The Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts But Band, The Prize. And track 13, A Day in the Life.
1: I'm not sure why they didn't end with the reprise why not bookend the album with those two tracks is there a reason that you can think of that a day in the life should be kept separate from tracks one through 12
0: i don't know I've, I've asked that but the ending of that song with that huge resonating and slightly dissonant piano chord that just rings and goes on forever until they get into you know the secret track with all the silly sounds there's something kind of special about that being the end of the album
1: it almost feels like they had two final tracks and couldn't decide between them and so they threw them both on
0: yeah and and i don't i don't mind that the reprise is not the end because it's kind of like not to sound too deep but but the end is never the end and if if the the concept and we'll get into what the concept was but if the concept was that this is kind of a it's a band and they're playing a concert and this is, this is their concert, then that's the end of the concert. But we know at the end of the concert, that's never it. You know, you, you get together, you might go to a party. Um, so then after the concert, there's still something else. And something else is a day in the life, which, again, is is uh, maybe not a, I don't think it was a number one hit, but certainly a, a well-known song and, and does some really interesting things and I think is one that many people know. And, again, that ending chord, to me, is just you, I don't see that going into another track. Right. Um, and I love what they did there. I love what they did there. And, and I totally agree with what you said. They listened to uh, Pet Sounds. They said, oh, man, we, we can do so much more in the studio. And this is one of those things that I think they did really well.
1: It'd be interesting to, to figure out if other bands were doing secret tracks at this time or if this was another first. Uh, that they introduce here to have this sort of like fade to nothing. And then there to be something that comes in after seconds of silence. Um, I remember, you know, when we were in high school and college, just being so thrilled to discover, uh, you know, the, the timestamp on the final track was like 12 minutes long because that meant there was a hidden song down there yeah. somewhere. Um, yeah, but I have no idea of the history of that and and whether this is like iconic breakthrough moment or if it's just something that was fairly standard in the late 60s. It,
0: it's kind of it's kind of cool. It's just something it's just something a little extra, something secret, something special for when you own the album. And I'm a little young for the for the age of vinyl, so I got into, you know, more CDs and love to get into vinyl at some point, but you know, I still enjoy holding a CD, having it flipping through the the liner notes and and reading all the different things, I love having an album, and I think this is a special thing. When you own that album, you're in yeah. on the secret. You're part of that club, and that's that's something special.
1: Well, so this is from Wikipedia, so I take it with a wicked grain of salt, I guess. But so apparently, <laughs> the the last little backwards laughter, random gibberish at the very end there um, was the sort of groove stretch that would bounce back on itself if you didn't have a record player that would uh, return the needle back to zero. It would just keep playing and playing and playing that, that little stretch. If you had a record that oh, would bounce, wow. bounce the needle back and they had it timed just so that you'd get to just hear that on an endless loop. If you just kept your record player running um, and you've got the background of, of Lennon saying being so high and McCartney saying never, never, could be any other way and that just <laughs> that refrain would play forever if you let it um which is really interesting uh to have that it's almost like it's not a secret song it's just like a playing off the technology at the time and and what people were most people were listening with yeah for sure. i think it's, it says something about our our generation our age that we don't have much of a memory of uh a and B sides, that was not really relevant for us as we were becoming sort of interested in music, to have a flip side, to have to turn a record over, um, to have, you know, a certain set of songs that were more prominently placed on the first side because that was what you listened to and you may not ever get to flipping it over. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how often this comes up, just that, uh, you know, growing up in the era when CDs became the way to listen to music. Uh, we may have list, missed out on something.
0: You know, and certainly this is nothing new. There's, there is something special about vinyl. There's something visceral on there. I know there's a debate about it, but...
1: Certainly from an artwork standpoint, you know, uh, that was the glory years when you had that sort of 12 by 12 inch uh, canvas for your artwork. Yeah. Did, I'm curious, did you ever get a turntable? And was that a thing? Did you ever collect vinyl at any point in your... No,
0: I didn't. When I was very, very little, you know, in the, in the late eighties, uh, my parents had a turntable and had some vinyl, but I don't really remember any albums. I don't remember, you know, we put on this iconic album and listened to it. It was kind of something that was there that we really didn't listen to. Yeah, um, It's funny because my parents liked music, but, uh, uh, no. And, and then, you know, uh, I was eight years old, uh, my my parents uh split and uh i don't ever remember seeing the turntable again you know then we moved into uh, uh cassette tape cassette players and cd players um
1: yeah yeah my my parents held on to their to their turntable for a little while longer than that i think uh, i bought uh actually i don't even think i bought it uh, i was at a garage sale and found you 2s the joshua tree and didn't have any money because it was a family friend and they just gave it to me. Um, And I think that was my first sort of non-Christian store uh, album. I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. so The album was already a few years old, but that was the first sort of more popular music, I guess, that I listened to was that album on vinyl. So I guess I do have a bit of a sentimental tie to that era, even if it was... You know that was the first and last vinyl record that I think I bought, and I think that was it. So
0: when I'm looking at this list and thinking about it, it jumps right out is "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds." Even though it's not necessarily my favorite track on the album, it's one that uh, I mean you're you're inundated with Beatles music. I think from the moment you're born because it's everywhere. Uh, so I hear this song, and I don't really remember a time when I didn't know this song. It's just one of those songs you hear forever. It's iconic in the sounds, you know, the opening uh, sounds. They blended um, a couple, uh, like an organ and a tambura. They blended the sounds to make that very psychedelic sound. This imagery, there's rumors about it, you know, being about drugs. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, LSD, uh, which may or may not be true. And we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but that's one that really jumps out. And there's other ones that I really, really like. I really like getting better. Um, I love the feel of it. It's a little poppier um, in its feel, uh, but it's just very uplifting. Um, And I really, really like, and we're going to talk about this later, I know, but I really, really like Within You Without You. I love that they take a totally different style of music and just plop it right in the middle of this album. (laughs) Uh, and uh i know it's something that you know harrison was experimenting with different music and maybe they just kind of did this to appease him and just humor him um because it doesn't really fit with everything else it's kind of like oh fellas i'd like to do this music i've been studying you know and they're like yeah sure you know george uh i I, I'm making that up. I don't know if that's what happened, but but I love that it's there. I love that it's diverse, and and I think it reflects, you know, some of the culture people are getting into, different religions in the '60s, and different, you know, uh, into yoga, and meditation, and Eastern philosophy. So it, it reflects that too, and I, and I just love that.
1: It's interesting to me that for an experimental album, there are songs that I still find uh, uh, challenging to listen to. Maybe is a good way to put it. Um, that, that don't strike me as like poppy things that, that anyone can sing along to. But then there are also songs like like uh, With A Little Help From My Friends right off the top where, you know, if that song comes on, people start singing along with it right away. And it's really fascinating that, you know, even in the midst of this experimental psychedelic phase, they're still crafting pop hits that are timeless You know, it almost strikes me as a song like Lean On Me, which in some ways has become uh, bigger than the artist that wrote it, uh, that gets played, you know, when someone picks up a guitar and uh, is just jamming in, you know, around a campfire or or something like that. Um, I was, I preached at a Unitarian church last year and the service closed with uh, the Beatles with a little help from my friends, Uh, even... Even as parishioners were chuckling with the line about getting high with a little help from my friends, you know, everyone sang along no matter your age with a big smile on your face, uh, which says something, I think, about the talent here and their ability to just craft really brilliant music. Um, it also strikes me as this interesting blend between sort of uh, psychedelic, whimsical stuff written for young people of that age while also being accessible to different generations with songs like When I'm 64, which has a very like timeless kind of, you know, an appeal that I think just hangs on regardless of your age and regardless of your moment in life uh, looking forward. Yeah. It's interesting. It's so it's such an interesting mix of songs and probably, you know, if you had, if you found someone without any knowledge of the Beatles catalog, and gave them this sampling of songs, they probably would assume that you drew them from different albums. Even though we think of them as going so well together, they don't necessarily all fit the same genre or sound or style.
0: Yeah, I thought about that um, just thinking about all these songs. And and there's it, sometimes I thought, geez, why are these all on the same album? And, and why is it called a concept album? They're so different. Yeah. Yet yeah, there's such this incredible diversity. Yeah, it's almost like a compilation or greatest hits. Uh, You you wouldn't necessarily say that they're all on the same album, but but uh, boy, front to back, it really works.
1: It almost seems like each album, each song on the album has its own personality. And I think when I originally heard the title of this album, um, I wondered if that was part of the idea that. The Lonely Hearts Club band, each of the members has their own song or attitude or style. And I don't know. And that makes it work for me in my mind when I think about it that way. This, again, probably shows the different uh, generation that the two of us were raised in. But I, <laughs> I don't own a physical copy, which uh, my high school self is probably shaking its head at me right now. Uh, I used to just swear by, you know, if you like an album go and buy it and uh and i don't know maybe it's because i really got into this album later in my adult life but i've i i downloaded it at some point and it's been it's on my first ipod i've listened to it i've listened to it a lot over and over and over again at different stages of my life but uh, it's been mostly post-college i would say that i've that have really gotten into it
0: it's definitely a, a mid-20s kind of thing when i got into it i, I own i own the album i, I own a, a copy of the cd uh and a very rare thing here i can't remember when i got it and mm. i have this weird thing where i can usually remember where i purchased just or just about every album i have which is kind of weird and creepy but but i don't remember when i got this one probably at a used cd store you know in in 20s somewhere yeah i've uh i can throw this album on just about any time um fantastic
1: i think the earliest memory for me is a bus ride to school i had a friend um who actually uh, performed a beatles song from another album during the eighth grade talent show uh, with this person and a couple of other friends uh, she passed me her headphones because she wanted me to listen to something on this album. I have no memory of what the track was, but I, my hunch is that it was something a little bit outside the norm because I remember thinking, "What, what is this? This sounds interesting, but also unlike anything I've ever listened to. I had a, a moment of interest during college when I first watched the I Am Sam film and, and then started listening to its uh, soundtrack, which is all covers, Beatles covers from sort of artists that were contemporary at that time, and, uh, the film was released. And so I got into the Beatles a little bit there, but it was mostly through that, that soundtrack. I remember getting the Beatles number one hits album that came out around that same time, yeah. but it was, it was really in seminary. I think during grad school when I, I started listening to their entire catalog and entire albums in the catalog. Um, I, I felt compelled for some reason to watch the Beatles anthology from beginning to end, just totally binge watched it, uh, downloaded, probably pirated copies of all their albums. And uh, it just became one that rose to the top. Uh, a couple of the others are in this Rolling Stone top 500 list that I'm sure I'll talk more about later. But but this one in particular, I think whenever I've gotten a new computer or a new phone, you know, I just drag those files onto it. Um, and know that it's going to be there for me when I want it. I
0: have a vague memory of hearing a day in the life in my mom's kitchen. You know, we'll say maybe grade four, or grade five, and kind of just standing there and listening. Like, what is this? This is this is really neat, and not and not knowing who it was or who the Beatles were, being you know a kid of about ten, eleven, and now knowing what that song is, kind of like, yeah, I can see that. That went, it would have stopped me in my tracks. I also, I feel like. And I don't know when, but I was confused about, uh, with a little help from my friends for a while, because, uh, if you grew up in the Toronto area in the nineties, you probably listened to a radio station called CHFI in the car with your mom. Uh, and you would have heard a lot of adult contemporary music that would be absolutely etched in your brain forever. So I would have heard Joe Cocker's version of a little help from my friends, Probably a lot. Oh, Probably even more than the Beatles version. And I think as I got older, I didn't, again, hadn't really listened to albums or tracks or had my own music, was confused about what that song was and who wrote it. <laughs> I think uh, it took me a while before I realized that that was a Beatles track, um, just just being a little kid and hearing it. So that that's kind of a funny thing. And uh, if you know what the Joe Cocker version or seen uh, any video of him performing do. that, you'd just, understand why that's kind of funny um and then um my my mom and my stepdad uh have more recently had their 64th birthdays and i remember them uh you know as respectively those dates approach them just i would just be over and just hear them alone singing to themselves when i'm 64 you know <laughs> like hey i get to sing that song for real now you know and, uh, but they never said so, but it was like kind of an exciting thing. As people, and certainly my stepdad, who's a who's a little bit older than my mom, um, uh, uh, grew up right in that era. He would have been 21 when the album came out, and right into it. Oh, so that's uh, that's kind of cool that you know I got to see that part of their life when they uh, they got to live that song that you know they heard 40 years earlier or 50 years earlier, 40 45. Yeah. We're not talking about today some fun memories uh but yeah not not listening to it as an album like oh this is an album i need to listen to until you know my mid-20s
1: there's a pretty good chance that i had heard each one of these songs before i ever even realized that they're all part of the same album and i think that makes it hard to like figure out what you thought about it before then Um, but when when i was thinking about this question initially it, it it brought me back to the first time that I saw the cover art cover art. We've already talked about before, but I think because it looks so iconically sixties and, and it looks so strange, I think I probably dismissed this album as like one that I probably wouldn't enjoy. You know, I saw their uh, bright band unit uniforms and knew they were a sixties group and probably just thought this is going to be some kind of hippie nonsense that i won't have any desire to to listen to and i think that made the bar (laughs) lower to a point where then when i did actually listen to the music in a very serious way later in life uh i was really impressed by how much i enjoyed it and how much i enjoyed it i think right from the very first listen it wasn't it was and perhaps because uh, that many of the songs were so familiar but it just clicked and uh and like i said you know it, was, it became part of my regular music rotation
0: by the time i got around to listening to it i i felt like i had heard most of this not all of them but most of the tracks and by the time i did say okay i gotta listen to that i knew that it was an album like yeah you have to listen to this album. You you haven't listened to that album yet. Like it is an essential, you know, I, I knew that at that point. So there was huge hype and I'm not sure in my mind if it lived up to that hype, but I certainly already had an idea that, Oh, okay. Now I know this is one of the best albums ever. So I was kind of expecting it would be, and and certainly it's very good. And I loved it right away. I love it even more now. I think at the first time I listened to it, I don't think I was totally sold, but at the same time I, I knew it was good and already knew again, half of it. So my preconception going into it was that it would be good, and that wasn't wrong. Uh, kind of a redundant question. Uh, do you like it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it does feel a little redundant now, but uh, yeah, absolutely. and still like it, and I like playing it for my kids, even though they probably aren't super aware of it. It's, like, it's great.
0: I appreciate that you brought that up. Sorry, I kind of cut in there, because we both have young children now. Um, between the two of us, five kids between the ages of two and 10. Um, and you know, as I started listening to this and a few other albums, just preparing for this podcast, um, I've had them listening to it and and asking them, what do you think? And that's so exciting to share this music with them because it, it's some of it's familiar to them. I said, Hey, do you guys know Lucy in the sky with diamonds? They're like, uh no i don't think so let me play it for you start playing it got the chorus like oh yeah we know this song you know (laughs) um and and then other ones it's kind of like what do you think about that oh that one's a little weird i like that and you know even if they don't like like it i'd love sharing that with them
1: yeah i'm trying to make sense of how i would hear this album differently if it was the only album this band ever made like would that make it even greater
0: it fits into the and we'll talk about this more when we get i mean we're gonna before we round out the top 10, we're going to talk about three more Beatles Beatles albums. So we'll, right. we'll talk about how it fits into their timeline. And I certainly think it, it does, but I, I think you could if it was the only album, I think you could take it and go, man, that was some great music, but it holds such, more of a significant place where you see the evolution before and after. and um, I, I wouldn't definitively say it is the pinnacle of their career, but yeah. certainly it's a very high point. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to touch on before we get near the end is, uh, and we talked about it earlier, the idea of Sgt. Pepper's as a concept album, one of the first concept albums and, and kind of raises the question, what is a concept album? I've always struggled with that because when I first listened to it, I did know that, Oh yeah, it's a great, it's a Beatles. It's a great concept album. And I always kind of wondered what makes this a concept album. I, would lean towards the side that it's not really because the question I asked is, you know, what binds this together? I know that John Lennon was never really a big fan of it being called that. There are others that, that year that were released. Um, Beach Boys' Pet Sh- Pet Sounds, they said, was a concept album. Uh, the Who's The Who Sell Out, they said, was a concept album. The one thread that I hear, and I don't know if this is something that was intentional, the thread I hear through this album is reflections on regular adult domestic life. You hear that through a lot of different tracks. She's Leaving Home, When I'm 64, um, even for the benefit of Mr. Kite, uh, Rita Rita Meter Made, all all these regular things, A Day in the Life, almost like they took the mundane life that we all go through and highlighted these points that everyone could relate to. Um, Instead of, you know, the love songs, instead of being these fantastical teen magazine ideas of love and romance. They're very regular, normal ideas of romance um, uh, that are what two normal people would go through. So not only does it kind of tie the album together, and I think, if anything, that's what makes it a concept album. It's a regular band. Sgt. Pepper is a regular band singing about regular stuff, and it's something that the regular person, the average person can relate to.
1: Yeah. When I think of a concept album, I often think of an album where a band is trying something new and it often gets released even in spite of the fact that it doesn't really work all that well. <laughs> yeah. And and so I wonder if this gets labeled a concept album because it was taking such a risk. The difference in this album versus most concept albums that come to my mind is that a lot of them are clunky. They don't work all that well. And the reason that they were labeled as concept albums because it was like someone going off on a side tangent and trying something um, before returning to what works. This to me just seems like an evolutionary step in their sound and it works. Yeah. Um so that's yeah I agree with you. I, I hesitate to call it concept album too. It it does fit with the uh, you know we've talked already a couple times about how each song sounds like it could belong to another time or era yeah. um in their careers. And and that to me does make it a bit of a concept album. The book ends too of uh you know the way that they begin the album and end it also feels more theatrical and concept y. Uh, but I don't know if that's an I don't know if that's enough to call it a concept album.
0: I think there's a tie between concept album and experimentation i I don't know why that is maybe because you kind of have to take a risk and and a lot of times concept albums uh do tell a story or at least follow the same uh lyrical or musical theme Um, this album doesn't really do that um but you're right that sometimes when you do that you've got the story but musically or even in terms of the end product it doesn't really fit but people are drawn to it because somebody tried something different and it's a concept album oh that's exciting i'll check that out yeah whether it was really good or not so yeah i i would say i don't think this really is one um uh, but i don't mind that they call it that and certainly uh that they took on a persona as sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band that they took on that persona on the cover and in the album with those two tracks i think that that kind of does make it special. I want to talk about one other thing that you brought up. And yeah. uh, this, uh, this phrase of uh, cultural uh, appropriation or cultural hijacking yeah. in uh, Harrison's Within You Without You. Um, and that if this had been written today, uh, we'd go, Hey, oh, that's still, uh, you can't do that. That's not, yeah. uh, that's not respectful. Um, uh, I, I know I have an opinion about this. I'd, I'd love to hear what you think about it first.
1: Yeah. So, but, it's hard for me to think about this album in its context because it's been around for so long and it's it still sounds so good. But for Within You, Without You, that one in particular just feels like here's a bunch of guys who are kind of on top of the world, had a lot of free time to reinvent themselves, and were dabbling with this sort of new wave of... Um, uh, spirituality and yoga and you know had spent time in india with their new guru uh it just feels like they're taking something from a culture and like throwing it on an american uh, and british uh, uh rock album and calling it their own um it uh, i i think i think that that song in particular is the one that feels the most dated because i just don't think they could get away with it now uh i know it's it, it was deeply influential in the time it probably opened up people's minds to the fact that uh you know even this country existed uh, yeah. and that it's and that it's producing music and that it sounds very differently than than what we've uh, thought was the norm so there's something valuable in that um but I also know that, like, Paul Simon's Graceland, which comes a few years later, still gets, um, a few decades later, I should say, still gets criticized at times by some people for, like, you know, oh, uh, he went to South Africa South Africa to sort of save these poor Africans, and while he was there, borrows their music and their sound and, and takes it as his own. Um, you know, and then on the flip side, he lifts up the, the careers of... Uh, groups like Ladysmith Black Mombazo and and put South African music on the map uh, without without his Western influence uh, you know there, there may not have been some of the political breakthroughs that happened and so I don't know I, I feel myself pulled in those two directions with this uh, one song in particular as well it's probably something really meaningful that they did in highlighting Indian sound Indian music uh, but it feels weird to me that, that this is where it ends up.
0: I agree with a lot of your points. I agree with outside of the concept of the '60s, that song would really feel out of place. Um, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa! Uh, I'm in another I'm in another country now, uh, and I do agree with that. You know, even though I, I think most people listening to that with an open mind can say, you know, it, it's beautiful, it's exciting, it's different. Um, I guess the question I have is, you know, if you go and you train, because we know that that you know George Harrison when he trained with Ravi Shankar, one of the, yeah. one of the legends of of sitar music, and and brought back not just he didn't just plug a sitar into a Beatles song, into a pop rock song. They took and they took the whole song, and they took an Eastern, a traditional Eastern Indian sound, and put that whole song on the album. I personally I really really like that I agree with you that it highlighted that music Um, and the other thing is too, you know what you said I like what you said about uh, Paul Simon and how he highlighted that that band I think you know if you ask many people in the Westworld today uh, you know what do you think of when you hear the name Ravi Shankar I think a lot of people would say wasn't he the guy who, who taught the Beatles to play sitar So in other ways, uh, they're opening up this world of uh, Indian music and and getting people involved. If you listen to this song, and then if you listen to um, uh, Love To You on, not Love To You, oh shoot, I I stumbled on the name of the song on Revolver, Um, but if you listen to that, it's like the whole song encompasses that, not just one piece, it's not just a rock tune with a sitar playing along. I really like that they use the whole thing, so... I'm with you on some of it, uh, but I, I still like it. And I personally, when I first heard that on the album thought, Ooh, wow. Oh, this is so tall. Oh, they did this. Like, that's cool. You know,
1: after a few decades of artists sampling sounds, right. And building music on top of that as a way of layering music, this feels so much more genuine yes. to, to, to do it the way that they did it and not just like, you know, get a, get a, um, Buy some music off the street in India, take it back to the studio and like do their drum, guitar, bass over top of it. Uh, they did they did really go, get trained, come up with a song based in the tradition. Um, and I, that seems to be that's commendable. I, I don't think you'd see an artist necessarily doing that today. Uh, nope. maybe because the swift judgment would be <laughs> you're just stealing yeah and I, for some reason, we tolerate sampling. That's just a more blatant ripoff uh oh, in ways that yeah. It's interesting.
0: Speak for yourself. Just give
1: me some <laughs> giving me some good food for thought though.
0: <laughs> I, I don't yeah. I, I think I'm much less tolerant of sampling. Sometimes it picks me off. But yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. And that, that kinda leads us into, you know, do is the album as a whole is it is it still relevant or is it dated? Right. You know, we're, we're a couple of comments on that.
1: Yeah, there's songs for me that just sound like Timeless works of art, I think of uh, I've already named with a little help and uh, getting better, even a day in the life. uh, I think those are all just just pieces that continue to just seem like uh, timeless is a great word. The the ones where I feel sort of stuck in the 60s are um, Mr. Kite and Within You Without You. Lucy in the Sky sometimes too. Just the way that it starts out. Um, oh yeah,
0: very psychedelic.
1: Yeah, even even as I say that, I remember uh, being in a rural village somewhere in southern Africa. I think it was on our way to Mozambique. We were in a bus, stopped somewhere, and people were approaching the bus to try and sell cool drinks, snacks, things like that, uh, through the windows of the bus. You know, crowding around trying to. Uh, push their wares and again, a sort of toothless homeless looking gentleman came up with a guitar with only two strings on it and just started like hammering on it and played Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and I just like he didn't he didn't speak a word of English but he could like <laughs> sing this song that had had traveled all the way around the world and made it to his rural village that's
0: that's an awesome story
1: Maybe I'm going to go back on that. Maybe Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds is not dated, but, you know, <laughs> continues to be super relevant and timeless.
0: I, I think instrument instrumentation there, yeah, it feel, it's got that. Yeah. I think that the album to me, it does sound most of it like a 60s album, a 60s rock album. I think you, you could plunk it in a few different decades and it would work, uh, but I think that we we know we listen to it and we know it's a '60s album. Yep. One, it's so familiar, and two, it's got those signature sounds. And it, but it's later in the '60s, and it it certainly gives way to a lot of things that happened in music in the '70s. But even so, it it sounds a little dated. But I mean, it, it's no less enjoyable. And I think so most people. It, some sometimes when something's dated, it bothers you. It bothers people. Yeah. They, 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 Ah, I don't want to listen to that anymore. It's from this era. Uh, I think even the dates on this don't—they don't bother anybody. It's uh, you still want to listen to it.
1: I think it's because it's so—it's just so good. Like yeah. I think we're willing to put up with its yeah. sound at times because of how great the sound the songwriting is.
0: I think with this album and some of the first few albums, you know. These episodes will be a little longer. We'll have so much to say.
1: I think that's probably true. uh,
0: Because of what they are. Yeah,
1: so what's our verdict? How do we feel about this being the number one pick for Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time?
0: I would entertain and potentially even make my own arguments for maybe a few other albums that could take number one. You know, I I won't get into that right now. Uh, We'll talk about those albums because there's a few that that I would argue could challenge this. That being said, I have no problem with this album being a number one. It it certainly uh, you can make many really good arguments for it to be number one. And uh, I, I do I, I as much as there's some other albums I think are really good and and you could make an argument for uh, th- this is a, a a great pick for number one. In
1: some ways, I think it will be easier to look back, say after you have done the top ten albums, and say. You know was this really deserving of the number one spot? I'm with you. I just can't pick this one apart to say uh ah, it's it's too flawed or it's too dated or or something yeah. uh it feels to me like a an easy slam dunk at number one um The question that we wanna ask of every album is, was it sound logic to have this album on this list?" and I think the answer is an uh definitely absolutely yes, it's a great choice.
0: I think the top 3 you could probably shuffle them around a bit.
1: Hmm.
0: I could move the top 3 around in uh in any order and probably be okay with it. Uh Pet Sounds fantastic and, and number 3 Beatles Revolver. Uh, again, these these are all amazing albums uh that you know, if you put it in any order I don't I don't think I'd be upset. But but for this number 1, it's a great way to start.
1: I think that's a good place to end. So what do we have up next? Uh, up next time in episode two.
0: Episode two, we listen to album number two, which is, as discussed, uh, "Pet Sounds" by the Beach Boys.
1: Yeah, and even though I've already said "Sgt. Pepper's" is a great choice at number one, I think next week I'm going to discover that "Pet Sounds" should have been number one.
0: Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, we want to thank you for listening to Sound Logic, and we hope you join us again.
1: Visit the Sound Logic Podcast on Facebook if there's something you want to be hearing in a future episode. Thanks for listening.